Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Counties across the state are preparing to vaccinate children between the ages of 5 and 11 following the CDC's recommendation of the COVID-19 Pfizer vaccine for that age group. The Western State Scientific Safety Review Workgroup met last night. It's expected to give county public health departments in California the green light to start offering appointments possibly as soon as today. Many counties have already received received the first shipment of this low-dose vaccine for younger children, including Los Angeles County. Here's County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. At some vaccination sites, including those run by public health, children under 16 must be accompanied by an adult. You don't need to show identification in order to get a vaccine, nor do you need to be a U.S. citizen to be vaccinated. In other counties, parents should check with their public health departments or health provider to see what's required for their children to get the vaccine. Ferrer says schools will play an important role in the vaccination process, as hundreds of vaccine clinics will be held on campuses this month. Despite federal approval of the shots for children between 5 and 11, students in that age group will not be subject to the L.A. Unified School District's student vaccine mandate, although they are highly encouraged to get vaccinated. In other pandemic news, Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva, who runs the largest sheriff's department in the country, continues to attack his county's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. Villanueva claims the department could lose more than 4,000 employees because of it. What is achieved by trying to impose a mandate that you physically can't impose without losing a huge segment of your of your employee or your workforce in comparison to the entire population of the county? The facts don't support it. During a news conference yesterday, Sheriff Villanueva said he's basing his claim on the fact that nearly half of his deputies have stated they will not get vaccinated or have refused to say whether they are vaccinated. But he provided no evidence that they'll actually leave the department to defy the vaccination mandate. The sheriff says only 43% of sworn deputies are fully vaccinated. Villanueva also claims early retirements are up nearly 20% since last year due to the requirement. Alone, that's probably half of our homicide bureau right there. Those are the people that can retire and they're not going to lose any money behind retiring because they've already maxed out their retirement benefits and they can simply just walk away. But when he was asked for evidence that the retirements are linked to the vaccination mandate, the sheriff couldn't provide any, only saying that's what we're hearing. Members of L.A.'s Board of Supervisors have criticized Villanueva for his handling of the vaccine mandate. They say the sheriff has demonstrated a lack of leadership by not encouraging deputies and employees to get vaccinated and that he's been a public health obstacle. 
As more California counties look to ease COVID-19 masking restrictions, Monterey County is moving in the opposite direction. Health officials there have issued a mandate that starting this Friday, residents will have to wear face coverings indoors in public spaces, regardless of vaccination status. This comes as the county has moved back into the CDC's substantial coronavirus transmission category. Earlier this week, Marin County eased its indoor mask restrictions for people who are fully vaccinated at almost all businesses. It's the first Bay Area County to do so. And health officials in Los Angeles County have outlined a series of steps that would need to occur to loosen its restrictions, including a significant decrease in community transmission and hospitalization rates. In other health news, it's important to have health insurance, especially during a pandemic. As KPCC's Jackie Fortier reports, there's a big change to most healthcare coverage you should be on the lookout for when shopping for a new plan during open enrollment. At the beginning of the pandemic, some insurers chose not to charge COVID patients for expensive hospital stays and therapies. A few companies have continued that policy as long as the public health emergency is in place, but most are quietly going back to business as usual. Because the insurance companies voluntarily waived those costs, they can decide when to reinstate them. So you'll need to check the policy of each plan you're considering to see how treatment for COVID-19 is covered. You can also avoid hospital bills by getting the free COVID-19 shots, or if you're eligible, the booster. Vaccinated people are five times less likely to get infected and 10 times less likely to get so sick that they end up in the hospital. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. I'm Jason Flom, and you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. A month after the oil spill off the Orange County coast, environmental advocates say they plan to sue the federal government, claiming the Department of Interior has failed to review and update plans for oil drilling platforms. The Center for Biological Diversity contends that those plans are badly outdated and could lead to more spills in the future. Miyoko Sakashita is Oceans Director at the Center for Biological Diversity. The platform's old plans said that they had a lifespan of 35 years. So, you know, we were looking at, you know, back in 2007, the plans anticipated that the platforms would be shut down and that they would be decommissioned by 2008, you know, and still more than a decade later, those platforms are still chugging along out there under these old plans. And Sakashita tells the California report that under federal law, the government is required to review oil development and production plans for leases in federal waters and revise them as needed. 
but she says it rarely ever happens. One thing that this oil spill reminds us of is just how incredibly vulnerable all that old infrastructure is off the coast of California. It's certainly a pervasive problem that offshore drilling is just dirty and dangerous and shouldn't be in our oceans at all. When asked for comment, the Department of Interior told the California report it couldn't speak about pending litigation. The cause of the oil spill is still under investigation, but federal officials have said the pipeline that leaked the crude into the ocean was likely damaged by a ship's anchor. State utility regulators have reached proposed settlements with California's two biggest power companies over allegations they violated safety rules before a string of destructive fires. KQED's Dan Brecky reports. The safety enforcement arm of the California Public Utilities Commission has conducted lengthy investigations into a series of fires involving Southern California Edison and Pacific Gas and Electric. The probes alleged the two companies violated a wide range of safety regulations before the blazes, which include the Thomas and Woolsey fires in Southern California and the Kincaid fire north of San Francisco. The companies dispute most of the allegations, but yesterday the CPUC announced it had reached settlement with both. Edison has accepted a $555 million penalty with PG&E settlement totaling $125 million. Those totals include both cash fines and agreements not to seek recovery of certain costs from utility customers. For the California Report, I'm Dan Brecky. As we've been reporting, PG&E ratepayers could be stuck footing at least some of the bill for the Dixie Fire. And that's just the latest scandal implicating the troubled utility. A recent investigation by our California newsroom found that Wall Street hedge funds dumped more than $2 billion worth of PG&E stock over the past year. As we hear from the California Report's Angela Corral, a congressman representing Silicon Valley hopes these developments will be the tipping point that pushes the battled utility towards a public takeover. Ro Khanna has been calling for the state to take over PG&E for years, but after recent reporting by the California newsroom, he hopes there will be more urgency in the effort now. When is enough enough? I mean, we know that PG&E has underinvested in safety. We know that PG&E has not prioritized ratepayers. We now know that PG&E prioritized private investors at the expense of the victims of the fires, thanks to your reporting. That reporting uncovered a giant giveaway. PG&E provided $1.5 billion worth of stock to Wall Street hedge funds who didn't have to pay a cent for it. All they had to do was promise to buy more stock if no one else wanted to later. And they never had to. Meantime, many survivors of fires sparked by PG&E equipment years ago continue to live in cars and trailers waiting on promised compensation. And I just think that at some point, Californians are going to say, this model is not working. It's one thing to have hedge funds or private equity run hotels or airlines. But when it comes to something like providing electricity safely, that should be a responsibility of the state to care about the common good and not private interests. And this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. Kana says he plans to work with the California congressional delegation to investigate and provide answers for fire survivors and accountability for the public. For the California Report, I'm Angela Corral. 
Let's turn to the environment. As we've reported, there's a big United Nations climate change conference happening in Glasgow, Scotland, and California has sent a contingent of officials to attend it. The delegation includes State Senator Josh Becker, a Democrat who represents San Mateo County and part of Santa Clara County. Right after he arrived in Scotland, we talked to Becker. Our first question, what do he and other Californians attending the conference want to achieve there? California's main role is an example of how it can be done uh, to talk about the progress that we've made, because we are ahead of most others in terms of uh, deployment of renewables, uh, electric vehicles, which was our number one export uh, last quarter uh, as a state, um, and as a source of innovation, really creating and demonstrating the technologies that will be needed worldwide. But I'm also there really to, to learn and to actually take best practices that other states are doing or other countries are doing and bring them back to California, because we know we have to move faster and we can learn from what others are doing as well. So let's turn to what you do want to learn. What is that exactly? What are you hoping to take away from this conference that you don't know now? Well, let's take an example, something like offshore wind. Uh, I actually have been here um, meetings in Europe and going actually out in the ocean to see offshore wind uh, facilities, floating offshore wind, which is really what we would need to have in uh, California. And uh, this is a uh, offshore wind is a resource that would be perfect complement to the solar that we have in abundance in the state and our onshore wind. Um, and that would be the perfect profile to complement that. So that's an area where we think we can get up to 10 gigawatts, which would be about one fifth of our capacity from offshore wind. Currently projected out, no, not, not till 2029. The question is, how can we get that sooner? And how can we make sure that California companies are helping lead the way in offshore wind? And do you think there's a lot of room uh, when it comes to subnational governments like states, like California or provinces, when it comes to really t tackling climate change in a serious way? Because I think a lot of people would say, well, that's, you know, you should leave that up to nation states and, and, and to entire countries and not smaller regions of, of nations. You would say what in response to that? You know, people know California's role, again, both as a model of policy, but also because the source of innovation that, that are created in our state. And so I've had lots of people from other countries uh, reaching out as well as from other states. And you know, we're about 10% of the US population um, and 15% of the nation's GDP. So strong climate action from California and other leading states like New York, Washington, Colorado uh, can be very meaningful. But again, it's also that demonstrating those policies, um, a bill that I got passed this year, it's the first in the country to uh, target emissions from the cement industry. And cement and concrete are 8% of the world's global carbon emissions. So again, if we can create a market in California for low carbon cement, we're going to drive down the price for the rest of the world, just like we did with solar in conjunction with others. The price of solar has come down 90% over the last 10 years. And that's because of the policies of California and other leading states and the innovations coming from California. All right, Senator, thank you so much. Thank you very much. That's State Senator Josh Becker, who's attending the UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow, Scotland. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, November 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a good morning and day. 
Support for the California Report comes from Water Heaters Only, specializing in the repair and replacement of water heaters since 1968. Licensed and insured, open 24 hours a day, every day. Learn more at waterheatersonly.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. And Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com slash parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I'm Jason Flom. And you're Maggie Freeling. Hey, Jason. Every day we learn about another person who shouldn't be in prison. 58 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So glad you're home. If you want to be part of this work, listen to Wrongful Conviction. The podcast where we hand the mic to innocent people to hear their stories. How do you send someone innocent to prison? Listen to new episodes of Wrongful Conviction with Maggie Freeling and Jason Flom on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.